<laughs> okay. We're passing the recording. Yeah, just see if the numbers are going. Okay. I should actually start this over then, right? Just push stop and start. Yeah. Stop. Which means we'll now start a new one. Looking at people, I don't. Uh, I don't lecture the cameras. <laughs> Feel comfortable. <laughs> okay. So today's uh, lunch and learn is titled "Stress: An Environment for Love." Subtitles: Has your husband, significant other? been pushing you away because of stress. Economic stress has been challenging many marriages. Must you sit in loneliness while he sits in stress? Find out what he really wants from you now. That was the title. The uh, introduction. I'm going to give a little introduction here. Introduction number one. Two introductions. Introduction number one is that, uh, true, this lecture is not for women only. <laughs> it is true. And uh, I want to begin by clarifying that. That this topic is not for women only. Men need to hear a similar lecture. What was extremely important to me was that men and women not hear it together. And uh, even though it's the same topic, um, pretty much the same points as you're going to see, but the focus becomes very different. The focus here is on the woman's role in a man's stress. Very different is the man's role in the woman's economic stress. So that's why it was important to me to have these two separate. But I will make a commitment. You bring your men into the room, and I'll give the lecture. <laughs> so the first part is up to you guys. The second part is up to me. So yes, I would love to have the opportunity to give this lecture to a men's only lunch and learn. But uh, you need to get them into the room. It's uh, not that easy to get men into the room for such a lecture. OK? So that's number one. Number two. Hachayim, the Life Institute, its focus always was, always is, and always will be divine solutions. So when you see such a topic, you're wondering, why is a rabbi giving it? Why not a marriage counselor? Why not a uh, therapist? Why not a whatever? So I just want you to understand that my job is to take divine solutions. My job is to question, what does Torah say about this issue? My job is to question specifically, what does Hasidus say about this issue? to understand it from those eyes, and then apply it to the human struggle, whichever situation it may be, which is what you see me doing here every single month. So please understand that today's lecture is actually based 
on an entire book of the fourth Lubavitcher Rebbe. Fourth Lubavitcher Rebbe has a book called Mayim Rabim 5736. It's called Mayim Rabim because the entire book is based on one verse in Song of Songs. It's called 5736 because that's the year it was delivered. In this book, he focuses on one verse in Song of Songs. Let me read to you exactly. Many raging waters cannot quench the love, nor can rivers flood it. Should a man give all the property of his house for love, they would despise him. That's the words of King Solomon in Song of Songs. What Hasidus focuses on here, it actually the Alter Rebbe discusses this in his Maimurim on Noah and the flood, the flood, again the raging waters, he quotes that verse there, and he talks about it, the Rebbe Marash is his great-great-great-grandchild, and he has an entire book in it, and the book is focused primarily on this verse, explaining as follows. The love that we're talking about is the natural love that the soul has for God. The raging waters that we're talking about is Tirdut HaParnasa. What does Tirdut HaParnasa mean? Tirdut HaParnasa means simply the struggles of the raging water of earning a living. Now what happens here is, what we're talking about here is that according to Hasidus, the verse is telling us that under normal circumstances, the pursuit of physical sustenance, physical wealth, should be a hindrance to the love that the soul naturally has for God. When you're involved in a physical pursuit, it dampens your spiritual sensitivity. Love for God is focused on your spiritual sensitivity. That's the soul's relationship to God. Now, if this is said true about any physical pursuit, how much more so when we're talking about today's economic situation, where it's not just regular current, we're dealing with raging waters. So the mimer is going to discuss what is the natural love, what is the raging waters, the challenge of the raging waters, and what is the higher level of love of which King Solomon says that the essence love that the soul has to God can never be extinguished or drowned by the raging waters of economic struggle. What I'm going to present to you here is that if we understand what the mimer is going to do, what is the love, what is the economic stress, what is the higher level of love, we can then apply that to the journey of two soulmates in their struggles of life and presently economical stress. So understand that what we're doing here is, this is a Hachayim lecture. Hachayim is only about divine solutions. We find it in the Mimer, we find it in the bird's eye view of the Torah, and then we carry that into our human struggles. Thus we have divine solutions for human struggles. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about this one mimer. It's a huge, it's not just one mimer, it's a huge series of mimer that forms the entire book. And if we focus on what that tells us there, let's see how that can help us in our present struggles. Okay? With that being said, the real economic stress. I want to share with you what really pushed me over the edge 
to go ahead and give this lecture. It's not a lecture I would embrace so quickly. It is uh, walking into lion's den, dealing with it. But I was pushed because, like every other shliach, Chabad shliach throughout the world, like every other rabbi, we are all dealing right now with huge amount of counselings from our own communities, phone calls from people in other communities that will call up and say we need to have a counselling session. I am doing a huge amount of counselling just because of economic situations. The economic situation spills over into the domestic situation. We're really dealing with huge struggles. Now, in this struggle, in understanding this counseling, what happens is that this counseling, traditionally, what's happening for me is it will happen because of one of two reasons. Either I was called to please come, let's sit and talk, or very often it's a response to my calling to set up a solicitation meeting. And then when we talk about the solicitation, the ask of helping for shul, that's when they open up about their economic situation and it gets very difficult. It really is a difficult counseling. So I want to share with you what goes on. In the counseling, we talk, and I, I'm not going to use the word counseling, it's just called discussion. Okay, It's just a discussion, two Jews sitting together trying to understand each other and help each other. So in this discussion, usually we go through the process. You know, uh, for those of you who have read Dale Carnegie's uh, Live a Worry-Free Life, one of the things he says over there, which is interesting, is embrace the worst scenario, because then you're not afraid of it. If you're always afraid of thinking of the worst scenario, so you're always paralyzed. So I will go there with the man. We will discuss the worst scenario. And it gets to a point in the conversation over and over and over again where we open up that possibility of needing to fold up, move away, and start new. Not an ideal situation. But we talk about that. And what happens if you got to fold up shop, move away, and start from scratch? You didn't do anything malicious. It's a rough economy. You didn't hurt anyone, at least willfully. So if you had to, fold up and move away. In that conversation, I've come to learn that there's a very magic question you need to ask. And this is what today's lecture is really all about. Are you afraid your wife will leave you if you financially collapse? That came out of my mouth the first time, actually, like, what's the problem? I mean, it's not ideal if you have to move, but Jews, for unfortunate reasons, have always been moving from one country to another country and starting from scratch. Not because economic issues, there are other issues, namely anti-Semitic issues, but it's happened, it's, it's not rosy. But sometimes I was, I was like, that question, that question of are you afraid that your wife will not stand by you, will leave you. I want to share with you what kind of reactions I got to that question. From outright breaking down and crying to a total eye disconnect for a moment before they come back and say, no, 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 she, she would never leave me. So all of a sudden we're dealing with a different stress of economic stress. I will share with you that to most women, this probably comes as a surprise. Most women don't think for a moment that their husbands think 
that they would leave because of economic issues. We're in this together, right? It was at the altar, under the chuppah, for the good and the bad, right? Unto death do we part. And all of a sudden there came a huge issue here. For most women, I would clearly say this is an absolute shock, and we're going to discuss why it's an absolute shock. But believe me when I tell you, discussion after discussion, this is an underlying fear in the man's economic stress. They're not afraid of losing their money, their home, as much as they are of losing their family. As weird as this may be. I will tell you very interesting enough that most men, if you ask them why they don't discuss their economic dangers in business with their wives, the classical answer is, I don't want to worry her. Let her, let her just be peacefully our. I'm not going to say men don't mean that, but I will tell you clearly at this stage of conversations after conversations, I would say generally speaking, majority speaking, what's underlying the real reason why men don't discuss their economic scares, fears, disasters with their wives are really because beneath it all, they are afraid that economic collapse will cause domestic collapse and they will lose their spouse. So yes, I expect this to come to you women as a shock, and I will tell you why, but nevertheless, it is out there. We're going to discuss today why. Why do men feel that way? What is it that's making them feel that way? And I will clearly state to you over and over today, I am not saying that you are getting off that type of aura. I will clearly tell you that most of you women probably are shocked to even hear that this is what's really eating up at the deepest fear of a man in his economic stress. But yet, please know that more than once, to say the least, in conversations of economic stress, that was the breaking point. I will tell you that at this point in conversation with the man, I now start suggesting it's time for you to go home and discuss with your wife the gravity of your economic stress. I would then start talking to the man about it's time to go home and tell your wife slowly, gently, of how bad your business or whatever it is is in danger. I will share with you that I am not always successful in doing that. That's how deep the fear is. I do want to tell you why I suggest that when men are struggling with economic fear, stress, fear, why I send them to talk to their wives. Because I absolutely believe that there's no one else besides you women that can remove that insecurity. There's no one besides a wife that can actually discuss with her husband and replace that insecurity with the deepest level of certainty and security, don't worry. This is an economic scare, not a domestic scare. We may have to start all over again, but me, you won't lose. That is why, at that point, more important than me to continue talking and telling him, don't be kidding, I know your wife, she won't leave you over this. That won't work. I send them to you, and we're going to discuss how you women handle this, 
but understand that that's the only thing that can really, really help. I will tell you one more thing. I have firsthand seen, and I'm serious what I'm saying now, I have firsthand seen men in total economic collapse that did go to their wives, did discuss it with their wives. Their wives were amazing enough to let them know the only issue you have on your table is economic. I didn't marry you on condition that. So if economic is the issue, that's all it is. Me, you won't lose. I have firsthand seen men after that conversation walk out and realize that there's only one issue on the table, economic, and we can handle that. I have seen men rebuild their entire economic situation once their wife was able to replace that insecurity, that deep gnawing, eating up from the inside out fear of losing her with absolute certainty. I have seen men then go from absolute collapse with houses on, on the, in foreclosure, with, with bill, whatever, the, the whole business was gone, to see them rebuild. Because what they really need is to know that it's only an economic issue. So now I'm sharing with you that the economic stress that a male goes through is not just economic stress. What it really is is a fear of total loss a fear of losing the woman he lives for, with that his children, with that life. At this point, I do want to share with you that in response to the email that went out, the advertisement, I had an amazing woman reply with a, Rabbi, what makes you think that it's the man alone that carries the economic stress and all the woman has to deal with is sitting in loneliness because of the husband's stress? What happens with the woman's economic stress? We live in a society where the women are out there battling for the sustenance of their family, just like their husbands. Yeah, when I did hear that, that chill went through my spine. I realized that I was being a male chauvinist, locked into a male's world, thinking that uh, economic stress is a man's world. I did sincerely apologize to that woman. And then I sat down and started typing my notes. And when I typed the notes, I realized that my soul did not betray me. The issue on the table is a male's issue, not a female's issue. Why? Because a female, when she deals with economic stress, she only deals with economic stress. I don't think I know any woman who would tell me that, oh my God, if I have to close my business now, my husband's going to leave me. He's just going to leave me. I just can't bring home money no more. So the woman only deals with the reality of the issue. And the reality of the issue is only an economic stress. The man deals with man-made, pun intended, issues. The man's not afraid of the economic stress. The man is afraid of domestic collapse. So please do understand that what's laying on the table here is two different issues. The issue for the female is economic stress. The issue for the male is what that he's building in his mind, a whole horror movie, beginning and end. He's the producer, he's the director, he's the actor, he's everything. But that's what's playing in his mind.
I do want to speak the unspoken, please. You see, what goes on with a female in economic stress is the fear that the man is challenged with loyalty in times of economic stress. I want to share with you that the woman's fear of a man not being loyal, God forbid, in economic stress is not about economic stress or her fear of economic stress. You now know what underlies that challenge. It's actually his man-made fear that can challenge him to do something that's stupid. And now we need to understand why does man go there? Why does man see in economic stress losing his wife? Houses are made out of bricks and stones. Homes are made out of an amazing balabusta. The bank can take away your house. The bank cannot take away your home. Why do men go there? What's that insecurity? Why do they think so? And here, we're going to have to go back to the mimer. And I want to just share with you that there are women either sitting here now or that will be listening to this lecture that would think to themselves, no, 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 that's not my issue. My husband doesn't think I'm going to leave him over money. On the contrary, my husband maybe takes me too much for granted that I will always be here. I hope you're right. But my experience tells me you're not. We need to understand what's really going on. We need to understand what's driving the man with this insanity that can cause a lot of problems. Now when you understand this, we're getting to a place where we can understand what the importance of the woman in the relationship can do. I want to just say as follows, which is the entrance into the next step. You see, you women, I would assume, were not aware that this is going on. I would assume that you women don't think at all that your husband's translation of losing my job, losing my house, means losing my wife. And I want to tell you that you women are right for not understanding this. There is an amazing verse in Deuteronomy. And it says, Let me read it to you in English, the whole verse, okay? Destruction is not his. His with a capital H. We're talking about God. Destruction is not his. It is his children's defect. You crooked and twisted generation. That is what the verse says. So, the Mimer goes on to explain how amazingly quick man is to point a finger at God at all destruction. It was God that did this. It's God that causes destruction. It's God that made the economy fall. It's God that does this to me. And our sages say upon this verse, destruction is not his. It is the folly, the foolishness, the crookedness of man that causes him to end up in these destructive situations. And then he points a finger at God. That would be, just to put things really simply, that would be like sticking your hand in the fire and saying, God burnt me. But men do that all the time. Please understand that I'm taking that teaching from the mimer, replacing the capital H from his with an amazing H from her. Destruction is not hers. She's not thinking of bailing out because of economic issues. It's man's crookedness which creates this non-existing destruction. 
which now drives him crazy. Let's talk about something else it says in the Mimer. The Mimer discusses what, what is it about this foolishness and crookedness of man that causes him to think this way. And to understand that, we're going to quote a prayer that we say in the Ne'ilah closing prayer of Yom Kippur. Merubim tzorche amcha v'daitom k'tzorah. Many is the needs of your people, and short is their knowledge. Simply speaking, what this verse means is very simple. It means, God, I don't even know what I should be asking for. I have so many needs. We're at the closing of Yom Kippur. I got to put them all on the table now. But you know what? My knowledge is too short. So I'm asking you, God, you please fill in the blanks. You ask for me of yourself that which I should be asking of you because I don't even have the knowledge to know what I should be praying for. How many times after an opportunity we say, oh, why didn't I ask for this? Well, I was nervous, I was this, I thought that I shouldn't ask for everything. So we tell God, God, it's just the way it is. We don't even know what to ask you for. Please, you, ask of yourself on our behalf what we should be asking for ourselves. That's the simple definition of this prayer. Hear what the fourth of Rebbe in this book does with this prayer. He says that the second half of this verse, prayer, is the reason for the first half. It is because that man's knowledge is short that he has so many needs. Were his knowledge not to be short, he wouldn't have so many needs. Let's explain this according to Hasidus slash Kabbalah. In the world of Hasidus, that knowledge is the third of the three intellects. There is wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Now let me tell you what the job of knowledge is. Knowledge is the bridge that brings the not, did not, the dot of wisdom as expressed in the three-dimensional details of understanding into the emotions. That is why your brain literally has right lobe, which is wisdom, left lobe, which is analytical part of understanding, and then there is the brain stem, which job it is to bring the power of the brain into the body. That's that. In human service to God, we define that as commitment, connection. If you don't personalize and connect with what you're studying, you will have no feelings. It will be nothing more than data. Knowledge in the world of Kabbalah is not data. It is the personalization that we're talking about my life my God, my people, my land, and I'm passionate about that. So the job of that is to take the concept from the quietude of the intellect into the tumult of emotions. And that's why it's so important that you have that. Because if you're not com connected, committed, focused, as you leave intellect, the quietness, into the whole tumult of emotions, you're going to get lost. So now you understand that the reason why there is many needs is because somewhere along the line, when we lose that, when our dot becomes short, 
We all of a sudden, to quote a famous song, forgot what we started fighting for. And now we have many needs. Let's talk about marriage. At the chuppah, the man made to the woman and the woman made to the man a very simple, deep, and long commitment. It was that. It wasn't a million commitments. It was one commitment to stand by you forever. Now let's see what happens with the man, the male species. Somewhere along the line, he became short in that. Suddenly, he replaced that one commitment, that. He replaced that one commitment with the billions of life's luxuries which he decided he needs to give his wife in order to keep his wife happy. Daitom Ktsarom. Once the man had that shorted, shortened that, he doesn't understand that what he really committed to is not a billions of life luxuries. It isn't a fancy Lexus. It isn't a car. It isn't a trip. It, it, it's to stand by you, with you, to bring the best out of you every single living day of our relationship. One commitment. But when that becomes Ktsara, and he doesn't see no more that one commitment, he sees many are the needs of my wife to make her happy. Suddenly, he's dealing with a total different fear. Suddenly, he's dealing with the fear of not being able to live up to those billions of life luxuries it takes to make my wife happy. Suddenly, he's dealing with the fear of losing his wife. Suddenly, he's dealing with some very, God forbid, undecent, indecent struggles and challenges. Women, please, hear what I'm telling you so that you can understand what's going on in the man's mind when he talks about economic stress. Please hear what I'm telling you. Get over the shock and really hear what I'm telling you because it will remove from you as you wonder about your husband and your relationship with your husband a lot of confusion and pain. You're thinking economic stress, so what? We'll deal with it. We'll downsize. He's thinking, oh my God, I'm going to lose her. Reality? Well, let me quote the famous, perception is reality for that man. Women don't deal with this. Women know what their commitment is. Women know what they really want from their men. Women know that they never strayed a moment from what they committed to and what they were committed to by their husband, what their husband committed to them. That's what they want. I want to be the center of your universe. If it's in a big house or a little house. If it's in a Lexus or a Honda. That's economic. That's trimmings. The man doesn't hear that. So now you're understanding why. The problem is Daitam Ktsura. Somewhere along the line, the predator forgot what he started fighting for. It was no more a hunt for one specific goal. It all of a sudden was, I have to catch everything. And the translation of the adrenaline of why I have to catch everything is, because I promised her to make her happy. 
I gotta give her billions of life's luxuries. I can't, oh my God, I'm gonna lose her. A total different understanding. So we're talking about the lack of Das, which leads us to another understanding of a dichotic paradox between the male and the female. Let me tell you what this paradox is. There's a very interesting verse concerning the flood and the ark. Let me read it to you inside an English translation. This is actually a, a comment, a explanation I heard from the Rebbe of Blessed Memory based on the teachings of his great-great-great-great-grandfather, which is the Alter Rebbe. The verse says as follows. Now the flood was 40 days upon the earth, and the waters increased as they lifted the ark. And it rose off the earth, and the waters became powerful, and they increased very much upon the earth, and the ark moved upon the waters. Please note the emphasis. Not only doesn't the flood destroy or drown the ark, rather the flood lifts the ark to greater heights. That's the teaching of the Alter Rebbe. That the power of the ark is that the ark doesn't get destroyed. It doesn't get swallowed by the raging waters of the flood. Quite the contrary. As the waters are rising, the ark lifts off the ground. The ark keeps on lifting, lifting, lifting. And as the raging waters build and build and build, what's happening? What's happening is that the ark is reaching greater heights and it's floating upon the waters. It's moving on that whole new high level. Beautiful, right? You now understand what the title was all about. Stress, an environment for love. Up, up, up. Not drowned. Here's the Rebbe's comment. The one prerequisite we need is that the ark should be sealed eight ear tight. Because if this cracks or leaks in the ark, the ark will not lift. The ark will be destroyed. The ark will be drowned. So what you're hearing over here is that the man and the woman have a dichotic paradigm of what the flood will do to the ark. The man sees, oh my God, this ark, my home, my domestic base, my wife, it's going to be broken, destroyed. What does the woman see? Potential. We can stick together. That's all it takes. Love. Women are always saying that. Men are saying, I've got to pay my bills. We're going to fall apart. And the woman's saying, don't worry. We have love. That's all we need. We'll make it. Downsides, upsides. What goes up, comes down, goes back up. Don't worry. We're together in the ark. It's sealed. It's tight. Nothing will destroy us. We'll float. It'll be bumpy. But we're rising. Can't you feel it? Difficult times are the most fertile times for love. What a dichotomy. The man sees domestic destruction. The woman sees an album of the most beautiful memories that can come out of these struggling times. You understand now the dichotomy? Man's thinking many other needs because small is his focus and the woman is still focused. The woman does not have daitam ktsara. She sees it for what it is, an economic challenge. We're healthy, the kids are okay, we'll make it. We won't go on vacation this year. 
He's thinking, I don't send her on a vacation, and we're going to have domestic violence. She's thinking, it's okay. It's okay. We have each other. We'll make vacation here. Give me your Sundays. We'll be okay. The ark sinking, the ark is lifting. And that comes from the Dat Ktsara. And the pain of it all is that because of man's crookedness, I'm just quoting the voice, the, the, the verse now, man's crookedness, he's pointing a finger at the woman, she will leave me if I can provide to her what she's used to, level of comfort, luxury. And that's why the verse says, destruction is not his, put in parentheses, hers. Destruction is not hers. It's the crookedness of man's thinking. So let me say it. Let me clearly say it. The problem on the table is that the man cannot embrace, accept, live with the unconditional love a wife has to offer. He sees it as a paid-for love. I provide, she loves me. I stop providing, she's going to jump ship. And then later he points the finger. This is the way women are, you know. You can't, you can't buy them jewelry, you can't give them stuff. And, you know. The material girl. Shichas loy loy. So I don't expect you women to have understood this. I expect of you women to have been shocked to hear that when a man looks at a bill, he sees a divorce. That's a different world. That's a different type of stress. That's not economic stress equals economic. That's economic stress means I'm losing everything. Daitam Ktsora, the pain of have somehow walked away from your chuppah and shortened your dot focus on what you promised under that chuppah. The one and only thing that you promised under the chuppah. Let's continue. Ladies, I believe at this point you're starting to understand what the husband needs, wants from you. Very different perspective that he has. He doesn't have it on his own. He needs your help. Let's continue. We're going to get a little Kabbalistic now for a couple of minutes, okay? There's two levels of love when we talk about loving God. There's one level of love called Ahavat Olam. The word Olam means world. Ahavat Olam, the worldly love. What this means is that when you sit and you meditate and you concentrate and you learn about the details of God's creation, you learn about the linear light of God that permeates, sustains, and protects every creation according to their capacity, that brings forth a love for God. Maimonides says, someone who doesn't know anything about science cannot love God. You can only love an artist by studying his work. So when you study the work of God, you study that intricate relationship between God and every single creature. You see King David in his book of Psalms talking about how every bird is given its nest. That's called Ahavat Olam. It's Ahava that comes from studying Olam. But studying science, not as a deterrent of faith, but as the embodiment of faith. 
The more you study science, the more you're like, wow, this is what God does. This is how God relates. This is what goes on here. God gives every creature perfectly what it needs, how it needs it. Doesn't overwhelm, doesn't underprotect. Everything is perfect. And that makes you love God. Then there's another love, and that's called Ahava Rabbah. What does the word Rabbah mean? Great. The great love. The great love is the love that comes from concentrating, meditating upon the circular light, which encompasses all of creation equally. The top of the top of the highest spiritual realm, and the bottom of the bottom of a physical insect within the physical dirt of earth are both equal. Because the circle has no top and no bottom. When you start focusing on that Ahavat Rabbah, it's a different type of love. It's not the feeling of so close to God. Rather, the feeling over here is a yearning to leave this naught of nothingness that we call creation just to return into the infinite bosom of God. So Ahavat Olam makes you feel close to God. It makes you want to serve God. It makes you want to stay right here and study God's Torah and do God's mitzvahs and reach out to God's holy land. Because you feel God. You feel God in you. The Ahavat Rabbah makes you feel that everything is naught in the face of the infinite circle of God. So what am I doing here? I don't want to be stuck in this little tight place. Let me go. Let me return. Let the little candle flame return into the huge big fire. Two different types of love. Avat Olam, Avat Rabbah. Avat Rabbah. Then there's normally, throughout Hasidus, you will normally find which love is greater and higher? Avat Rabbah. You're not thinking of God as God is in the linear, finite light of details. You're thinking of God as God is the all-encompassing circle. And yet, in one teaching, Rabbi Zegluria actually says that the Ahavat Olam is higher than the Ahavat Rabbah, which causes a whole couple of chapters in this book I'm sharing with you, in the Maimorum of the Fourth Baruch Rebbe. He says, how can that be? It contradicts everything we speak about. Aha. Let me go on to the next level. In Ahavat Olam, there is two levels. Why? Because I told you that Olam means world. Do you know what else Olam means? You probably heard the sentence. Le'olam va'ed. Baruch Shem Kavod Malchuto. Le'olam va'ed. Eternal. Forever. So when we talk about Ahavat Olam as the worldly love, the one that comes from concentrating on the linear details of finite, Ahavat Olam is beneath Ahavat Rabbah. But when I talk about Ahavat Olam as the eternal circle which transcends beyond... The details are not a contradiction to that circle. It doesn't need to negate. It doesn't need to interrelate. It is everywhere and everywhere is it. At that level, eternal love is higher than great love. So we have Avat Olam level A, parentheses, world. We have Ava Rabbah, the circle, but the one that's close to the details. And then we have Avat Olam level B, eternal, forever, that's the highest. One more step of Kabbalah. In Kabbalah we talk about the three necessities of mankind. Namely, 
food, clothes, house. The food we digest is the finite linear that we bring into us. It permeates us. And what happens then? We are sustained from the inside out. That is the love of Avat Olam level A. The linear which permeates is the concentration of the details and the interaction between creator and creation on the finite level of the creation. What is clothing? Clothing is encompassing. But something interesting, clothing needs to be made to size. So it's encompassing. The clothing covers your feet and your head, if you have one of those whole body things. But it needs to be made to size. That's the Ava Rabbah. That's the great love that on one level it's encompassing, but it fits snugly encompassing. Then there's the house. The house is the eternal Ahavat Olam. Ahavat Olam level B, because you can have a short person living in a very tall house. Thus, the food, Ahavat Olam level A, internalized gives you sustenance. Clothing encompassing gives you protection. The house, which is the distant encompassing power, the more powerful one, gives you stronger sustenance. Okay, we finish with the Kabbalah. And at this point, your patience should be at its peak. <laughs> All right, Rabbi, what does this have to do <laughs> with my marriage? Can we get back to economy and stress and marriage? That's what I'm here for. Let's get back there. You remember I told you the two scenarios of the ark? I spoke to you about the ark that could be broken and drowned and destroyed. And then I spoke to you about the ark, which not only won't it be destroyed, it will rise higher and higher and higher. What's the difference between them? Ah, sealant. It needs to be airtight. My question on the table here is, what is the sealant that makes that ark become airtight? That not only won't the great raging floods of economic stress destroy it, it will actually lift it up. Love. The highest level of love. The only sealant that will work is Avat Olam level B. So let's talk about this. Men usually frolic in the love of the linear Avat Olam, Avat Olam level A. Men frolic where everything is linear thinking. Everything has to have a value which makes this higher and this lower. That's where men normally frolic. Avat Olam level A. That's how they interact, interact with you, their spouse who they love. It's a linear form of concentration. It's what she does for me. It's what she brings out of me. There's the more important details. There's the less details. That's what it is. It's linear thinking which creates linear love. Women frolic in the encompassing love, the circular love. Women are multitasking. They're making dinner, taking care of the kids, and shopping all at the same time. Now, the challenge that we have here on the table is that there's two types of encompassing loves. I spoke to you about clothing, Ava Rabbah. But then I also spoke to you about the house, eternal Ahavat Olam. 
I will share with you that what you need now in economic stress, what your husband needs from you, is not Avaraba. What he needs from you is Avat Olam level B. He needs to have the insecurity of fear of losing you removed by being replaced with Avat Olam level B, eternity. Let's talk about this. We're almost done. Shabbat in the world of Tatalmud is peace. Have you ever heard of the book called Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus? Well, Hasidic teachers jumped on that title and they renamed it. Men are from Zah and women are from Malchut. By the way, parenthetically speaking, I just received an email recently that said like this, men are from earth, women are from earth, so deal with it. I thought that was great. But let's get back to our level. Men are from Zah and women are from Malchut. Let's not have a Kabbalah lesson over here right now. Let's talk about it in brief. What it means in the simplest level is men are weekdays and women are Shabbat. That's why Eshet Chayel is the entrance into Shabbat. What does that mean? The Talmud tells us the six days are predator. Shabbat is inner peace. The Talmud tells us that at the end of the six days of creation, everything was perfect. But, listen please, but everything was agitated. Everything was struggling with its boundaries and the boundaries of its fellow creation. And then the Talmud says, Ba Shabbat, Ba Menucha. Come Shabbat, comes peace. Now let's talk about two levels of peace. How do you say Menucha? Peace, right? Inner peace. Do you know that in the opening of Parshat Noach, where it talks about the flood, in the first verse, it says twice Noach. Eile told that Noach, Noach ish tzaddik. These are the offspring of Noach. Noach was a tzaddik. And the Kabbalists want to know, hey, these are the offsprings of Noach, who was a tzaddik. Why do we say these are offsprings of Noach? Noach was a tzaddik. Why twice Noach? And the answer is because there are two levels of Shabbat. There is Friday night and there is Shabbat day. What's the difference between the two? The peace of Friday night is not a peace unto itself. It is the peace of shedding the turmoil of the weekdays. So that isn't real peace. What that is, is the peace that comes from leaving go of turmoil. Shabbos morning is a peace unto itself. It isn't about, relatively speaking, to the turmoil of the weekdays. It is the experience of inner peace as inner peace stands within itself, not as the absence of turmoil. Friday night, Shabbos day. Please remember those two words. Now we're talking about the difference between Avaraba and Avat Olam level B. They're both feminine powers. Avaraba is Friday night. It's this circular, but it's snug. It's clothing, made to size. It's Friday night. It feels the stress of the weekdays, but it's helping you shed it. Avaraba, level B, eternity is the house. 
Do you know what the difference is? Avato, Avaraba tells you, dear stress, but it's going to be okay, honey. Avato Lam level B doesn't talk to you about stress. It grabs you by the collar, picks you up to a whole different place where stress doesn't exist. Now, let's get practical. Let's get practical to what your husband needs from you. Because we now understand what's going on here. We understand the depth of the economic stress to your husband is insecurity of losing you. Now let's talk about what he needs from you. So let me tell you women. What he needs from you is Shabbat. What he needs from you is Minucha. But what you should not be doing under no circumstances, do not Friday night your husband. Don't Friday night him. Because Friday nighting is what you have on normal times. Do you know what's going to happen if you Friday night your husband in this economic stress? He is going to grab you smack into his Monday slash Thursday turmoil. It's too close. Do not make the mistake of saying, honey, it's going to be okay. This too shall pass. No, it won't pass, by the way, women. It won't pass for quite a while. We're in for economic rocky times that isn't a 30-day bridge. So don't Friday night your husband. He's going to feel cold, dark, and lonely. You don't understand him. Oh yeah, she thinks, she thinks in 19 and 2011 it's going to be okay. She's living in La La Land. I'm going to lose her. She doesn't understand. Do not Friday night your husband. What you need to do is Shabbos day your husband. What you need to do is lift him into a whole other experience. Don't try to soothe the pain of the economy because you won't be able to. He'll schlep you into the turmoil 10 times quicker than you're going to soothe him with the, it's going to be okay, honey. It's just a period. You know, we'll get through this. What period? We lost our portfolio. We're too old to rebuild it. What period? She doesn't get it. Do not Friday night him. Shabbos day him. What do I mean by Shabbos day him? What I mean by Shabbos day him is the one thing that your husband needs from you is not to soothe his economic worries. Economic worries are not fatal. Losing you is fatal. What your husband needs from you is to be able to give him that security of eternity. This love is eternal. Whether we're driving a Pontiac or a Lexus. Whether we live in a huge big house on the water or we had to downsize into Hialeah and some small little two-bedroom apartment. This love is eternal. Husband, Look at me, see, hear, that's what's going on here. Now don't get me wrong, that's not going to get rid of the huge, capital H-U-G-E, huge economic stress. But you know what it just did? It made economic stress just that, economic. It isn't fatal. It isn't domestic collapse. Now, in the world of Kabbalah, we call clothing makif hakarov, the encompasser that's close. We call the house avat olam level B makif harachok, the distant one, 
Let me share with you in two minutes as we close this up what this means to us. What this means to us is Makiv Harachok is silent. Do not feel that now is the time that you need to ask your husband, honey, share with me what's going on in the office. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't Friday night him. Not in this economy. Makiv Harachok is distant. It's silent. It gives him the message that your issue is only economic. It isn't domestic. I will stand by you through everything. Eternal. That. I haven't lost focus of the one thing I committed to you and the one thing I want from you. And it isn't economic. Get it through your head. You will not lose me. But you can't say that. Makifarachok doesn't talk. Makivarachok is from a distance. So, how do we do that? <coughs> Excuse me. How do you get your husband a message without telling him? Confession. I'm a man, I don't know. You're a woman. You need to tell me that. Makivarachok is your gift. Shabbat is your gift. Shabbat daytime is your eternal gift. I can just give you my gut feeling. A man talking. Take it for face value. My gut feeling is that you women are great at using the spiral stairway rather than the straight stairway. You women are great at saying things without ever saying it. Doing things without it ever registering on the conscious screen of the male mind. You women know how to take your husband, the one you love, walk them up the spiral stairways. They don't realize it and all of a sudden they're up on the balcony with you alone, above the noise. It's just you and them in a silent waltz. That's your gift, women. That's what your husband needs from you. God bless you, women, and good luck.